Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, you guys. Warm spring weather is right around the corner. I just know it. I just know it is. And breeders are starting to plan their litters for the year. So visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PureDogTalk to take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. The Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit tests for more than 210 genetic health conditions, highlights breed-specific results, includes more than 35 traits, these are things like coat color and body size, and it's the only DNA test to use to get your genetic COI score. Embark also provides breeders with a suite of tools in their My Embark online experience with DNA health summary reports, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and group tags for your dog's profiles so you can sort by sire and dam, litter, health status, any tags you want to create. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PureDogTalk. Take $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PureDogTalk. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I have a super special treat, you guys. Normally, we have Dr. Marty Greer join us for our veterinary voice. And today, we are being joined by an extra special guest, which is Marty's husband, Dr. Dan Griffiths. And so, Dan, welcome. We're so excited. I have seen you. I know you are not mythical, but (laughs) I never get to have you join the podcast. Yeah, I show up every now and then. So give us a really quick 411. Let's tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well... I went to Iowa State University, and my interest at that time was dairy cattle. Mm-hmm. I got a bachelor's degree in dairy science, and then I went to veterinary school. Upon graduation in 1981, I was looking for a dairy practice, came to Wisconsin, practiced dairy with uh, small family farms until 2004, and sold my dairy practice in 2004. Went to work for my wife, Dr. Greer, at that time. Four. <laughs> Had a special interest in chiropractic and lameness and because of my experience with human chiropractors and my own back. So I've developed a practice of dog chiropractic, lameness. I'm trained in acupuncture, but I don't practice it at this time. And I do some cold laser therapy. So I see anything from acute cases of back injuries to confirmation dogs that just don't track right to Mm -hmm. performance dogs in the agility ring that are trying to cut seconds off their time, Mm -hmm. those type of things. Well, this explains to me perfectly why Marty said we needed to talk to you. 
I had asked her because I wanted to have a podcast about spinal injuries and dogs. She said, oh, we're going to have Dan do that. And I didn't know that you had taken this particular, I only knew the dairy background. <laughs> and I'm like, cows, spines. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've practiced chiropractic on cows and horses too. So Right. I've seen acupuncture on horses. I think it's really amazing. It's actually one of the things that sold me on acupuncture for myself. I think acupuncture has a good place in all species, but it takes a lot of patience to sit there with a patient for 15, 20 minutes with needles in them and to monitor them. And I just don't have the patience for that. So I've come to the conclusion that if I'm going to have a patient I think would benefit from acupuncture, I usually refer it. At this refer time. it out. Okay, cool. All right, so let's talk spinal injuries, not spinal tap, I'm saying. (laughs) That's a bad movie, spinal injuries. And this was, as usual, I come to my topics for veterinary voice from my own experience. And I had a dog with had a yard paddock crash and went down screaming and wound up with three compressed discs. So that's what got me thinking about this. So walk us through some of the things that you can encounter Starting with something like that, an accident where two dogs run into each other or a dog runs into an object or something along those lines. Well, the way I look at it, as far as spinal injuries or spinal conditions go in dogs, I kind of look at it as there's uh, about three or four things that can cause it. One is trauma, as you've been saying. You know, it can be from hit by a car, can come from a dog-on-dog type thing where they run into each other. It can be a running dog falling into a hole, those are all trauma incidences. Dogs with spinal injuries and or conditions can also come from a congenital situation, which the poster child for those is dachshunds, where they have disc compressions that just happen spontaneously and usually not related to trauma, but are prone to it due to their genetics. And then we also get into other things that can be in the spinal cord, such as tumors of the spinal cord. You can look at degenerative spinal diseases Mm -hmm. such as degenerative myelopathy, Mm -hmm. which we're very familiar with in our corgis and German shepherds and Chesapeake Bay retrievers. They get that. So there's a number of things that all fit into spinal cord mishaps. Surprisingly enough, there is a condition called FCE, which is fibrocartilaginous emboli of a spine, where it's actually a blood clot that causes paralysis because of getting caught in the spinal cord. It's like we call it a stroke of the spinal cord. So there's lots of things that can go into just spinal cord or spine injuries. Wow. I did go through a situation with a friend of mine that had a dog down for my breeding that had bone cancer in the spine. That was devastating. That was just devastating. Yeah. There's many conditions that go along with it other than trauma. So Mm -hmm. We can touch on some of those and treatment for those. Okay. Let's start with trauma. I think probably the one that we encounter, at least that I've encountered, I don't know, you see more. Would you say that's one that you see the most of, basically, is a trauma of some type? Trauma is probably second on the list Mm -hmm. as far as spinal cord problems. The number one cause is the chondrodysplastic breeds like dachshunds, where they have a congenital propensity to hardened discs and the discs exploding up and expanding up into the spinal cord and causing partial paralysis or full paralysis. Mm -hmm. And so is that the one that they, and forgive my ignorance, this is just not an area I'm super aware of, IVDD? Marty, am I doing that right? 
Yeah. Yep. Intervertebral yeah. disc disease. Mm-hmm. Right. IVDD. And there's actually a DNA test now. Right. I thought Embark had one for it. Yeah. There are a couple of places that are doing the testing. Mm-hmm. You know, like all DNA tests, I tend to be a little skeptical of the accuracy, the application, how we use that information. But it's out there, so it's something mm-hmm. worth discussing. But be careful what you use it for. Right, right. We've talked about as readers how we incorporate some of the health tests and carrier status and that sort of thing. So, Dan, back to starting, you say the number one you're seeing is IVDD or similar. How are you able to treat that? Talk to us about some of those treatments that people might encounter. Well, treatments can go anywhere from strict cage rest and using a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or a steroid drug to take down inflammation of the discs to laser therapy. We use a lot of cold laser therapy on those situations. We use some other drugs such as gabapentin to decrease nerve pain. And if it's severe enough where the patient is actually paralyzed or has no use of its rear limbs, surgery is indicated. Now, most general practitioners aren't doing back surgery. You're looking at a neurologist to do back surgery or a very competent general surgeon. And also they have the capability of having MRIs or CAT scans available to diagnose and locate the bad discs. Okay, so that that you just commented, Dan, I think is really, really important because what I'm understanding you to say is that you can't diagnose these discs on a simple x-ray. Correct, yeah. X-rays will give you some indications of a flat film or a plain x-ray. may give you some indication of a collapsed disc space where the vertebra are closer together than what they should be. But the gold standard for these is MRIs or CAT scans where you can actually see compression of the spinal cord with the disc material at that time. And that's what the surgeons are requiring now is to identify where the lesion is. Back 25, 30 years ago, before we had MRIs and CAT scans, we had to put dye into the spinal cord, into the space of the spinal cord, Mm -hmm. and identify where the lesions are. And that was never a very good way to do it, but it was the only way we had to do it. And now with CAT scans and MRIs, a lot of our neurosurgeons are just going to that straight off the bat, not even doing any flat films or scalp films before they do surgery. And talk to me about what, if anything, you can do in addition to the cold laser. You talked about that a little bit in terms of alternative therapies when we're talking specifically about IVDD. Yes. Well, alternative therapies, cold laser, acupuncture, and of course, we always use ice is always a good thing to use on these, just as something that we can take down inflammation around the spinal cord. Sounds like my treatment regimen. <laughs> right. That's pretty much the same as what people, you have lower back pain and compressed discs and nerve root pain. It's about the same other than people walk on theirs all the time. And usually people, it's in the lower back or lumbar area. Where we see the biggest problems with IVDD is the patients that get it right at the, it's called the thoracolumbar junction. It's where the last ribs and the lumbar come together. And that's where we see most of our patients that become paralyzed have problems because there's not much room there in the spinal canal for any type of foreign material, such as a disc, to compress on the spinal cord. So those are the ones that are very critical. Okay, good. So how do you decide between ice and heat? When do you make those decisions? 
I usually recommend ice in the first 48 to 72 hours after an injury. And then heat? Or when do you do heat? I usually do ice for at least a week. I usually don't do heat until later on in the whole scenario. Probably I will alternate between laser therapy and ice if I can use it. But heat probably wouldn't be indicated until probably 7 to 10 days out. It's just at that point you're looking at it more for comfort for the patient. And you're not trying to take down inflammation at that time. That's what my chiropractor tells me. (laughs) Okay. So I love that. I think that's great. And what is the sort of prognosis for these dogs that have IVDD long-term? All depends on what their presenting signs are. We see patients anywhere from an ouchy back where they come in with a little arch in their back. Mm -hmm. They have complete neurological function, meaning that their nerves are all good and they're not having any compression of the spinal cords. And those, they usually respond to therapy quite well. Usually two to three weeks of strict crate rest with uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or steroids. And they can usually return to full function. Now, just because they had probably one disc that was giving them problems. And what we hope happens with these is that in that two to three week period of time that we're keeping them confined and using the drugs to keep down the inflammation, is that that disc will basically scar up and stabilize and take away the inflammation. Now, that doesn't mean that the disc that rates next door to it, or the next vertebra, is not going to happen three to four, six weeks later. Okay. That's really, really interesting to me. And I'm curious your thoughts as regards comparing IVDD and that sort of a situation to a traumatic situation. Do you see the same process of healing? in that sort of a situation? Trauma, when I look at trauma on these situations, the disc can be a problem, but we also have to remember that in the spine and using the vertebra as a guide that makes the spinal canal and keeps the whole body together, Mm -hmm. I always look at it as, everybody knows what the joints are in a dog. You know, you get your knee joint and ankle joint, an elbow and a carpus. And, you know, those are rather simple joints but they're big joints and we know about them. When you look at a vertebra, between each vertebra, between two vertebra, there are actually eight joints between each vertebra. Wait, say that again. Say that again, Dan. That is crazy. Well, between each vertebra, there's about eight joints. They're called facets. And (laughs) that's where they articulate between the two vertebra articulate. And we do see a lot of damage to those in trauma. We also see arthritis in those due to aging. We see a condition called spondylosis where we have calcium bridging of those joints. So arthritis of the spine is pretty devastating in older patients. And it's also what we look at in those situations is that they can have arthritis in their spine and do pretty well with it and, you know, adapt to it pretty well. But if they have any type of trauma, like falling down the stairs, being rolled by another dog, those type of thing, it upsets all that arthritis in there. And then you can see some pretty acute pain. And those, once again, it's rest, ice, steroids or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and time. So there's that aspect to it. And the spine is made up of double-digit joints everywhere in the spine. Spine's an amazing organ. You're telling me all kinds of stuff I had no idea. Now, I've encountered spondylosis, clumbers, so I've run into that cervical disc disease, stuff like that. 
But the part you're talking about, the facets between each vertebrae is just fascinating to me. So in the trauma situation, the, like I said, dog on dog crashed into each other running around because they're ding dongs. Do you see the same type of with crate rust and anti-inflammatories, et cetera, that it creates, if you will, like our back would do fuses those discs and the dog is able to then heal relatively successfully. Correct. That's the whole goal of our crate rest and our anti-inflammatories is to have that joint go somewhat back to normal. Now, most of these joints, even if they are injured and our best case scenario is that they stabilize, but now that they've been injured, they also lend themselves very easily to arthritis in the coming months and or years after an injury. Okay. See, that was my next question. So you've got a dog that's had an injury, it's healed up. Is there then sort of an inherent weakness that it's easier to re-injure or is it more that they could see arthritis and other kind of, if you will, scarring? Arthritis is probably the major problem that we run into after an injury. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. The ones that recover from the injury, whether it be trauma or recover from the IVDD, do they then have pretty good prognosis to live a relatively healthy life up until we start running into arthritis? Yes. Okay. Now, some of the dogs that do have IVDD or a spinal cord injury where they have lost some of their neurological function to their back legs, where they have problems placing their legs or problems walking on their legs, some of those never come back to full use of their legs or will always have a hitch in their get-along. Mm-hmm. But usually once they're stable, they may not have any pain, but they still act like they've got some neurological deficits. Okay. All right. That's really good. And then the FCE that you mentioned, that is one I've not actually ever heard of. How common is that? Not very common, but it is something we see and it's pretty devastating to an animal. But it's just one of the things that we talk about when we talk about, it's one of our differentials for loss of function of a back leg or pain in the spine. Those things, we always have to add it to our differentials. Speaking of differentials, where do you put wobblers in there? having had a dog that I actually had to put down with wobblers. uh, Wobblers is a specific condition that we see in patients, usually large breed dogs, where they have instability of the last cervical vertebra and the first thoracic vertebra, which is at the base of the neck. And the joints of those vertebra are unstable, and they actually will pinch the spinal cord as it enters the base of the neck going onto the vertebra that hold the ribs. Those can be pretty devastating 
those dogs are usually in quite a bit of discomfort. We try to regulate it with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or steroids. Most of those are showing some neurological deficit in their rear limbs. And there are surgical interventions that can be made to stabilize that joint, but it's a pretty specific condition and prognosis is not very good for most wobblers. That was my experience with it. Kind of tried to block that out. Okay. <laughs> it's not a very pretty thing to see. No, we see it, it wasn't. Mostly in large breed dogs. This was an Ibethan hound, so. Yeah. Okay, so which one of you guys wants to tackle DM? Because it's always a hot button topic. Marty, I know how you are and how you think about this. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Dan, you want to talk about what it is? And Marty, we can talk about congenital or what do you want to do with that one? Go for it, Dan. Degenerative myelopathy. Yep. Well, it's a devastating disease or condition. There are certain breeds that it's pretty prone to. One is German Shepherds. There's kind of the poster child. One is the breed that we've had for 30-some years, which is uh, Pembroke Welch Corgis. Boxers have been noticed to have it. Chesapeake Bay Retrievers have it. And what it is is it's a condition where the dog is pretty much normal for three-quarters of its life. And usually at some point in our corgis, we've seen it showing up usually at 10 years old to 12 years old, somewhere on in there. And it's a condition where the spine starts to deteriorate. And we end up with patients that have ascending degeneration of the spine Ascending degeneration of the spine. Say what that means. So the neurons in the last part of the spinal cord start degenerating and they do not function normally anymore. First clinical signs we usually see is a loss of proprioception in the rear legs, meaning they don't know where their rear legs are placed. They can still walk on them, but they do not place them normally. And as the condition progresses, they eventually lose complete use of their rear legs. And that one of the things that you'll see dogs in carts for mm-hmm. is either IVDD or degenerative myelopathy. Right. One good thing about degenerative myelopathy, if there's any good thing about it, is that these dogs are non-painful. They will go about their life. They're still continent, meaning they can hold their feces, they can hold their urine. Mm-hmm. And you pick them up, you carry them around. What's nice when we've had some of our corgis with it is that you can pick them up and carry them around and take them outside. They'd be fine. But what I always tell my clients with this situation is that you have to realize is that they're not painful. It's not like IVDD or lower back diseases that these are not painful. And usually it shows up, like I said, they live three quarters of their life with no problems and all of a sudden it shows up. So over the years, we've looked at genetic testing for it. University of Missouri has done a lot of work on it as far as genetic testing. I don't think we have it quite down to a exact science yet. We keep coming up with different markers for it and condition of two different markers for it. But it's something that's degeneration of the spinal cord. Right. I think where that becomes a hot button topic is to do with the genetic testing, with the DNA test. And it turns up your dog's a carrier where they are not necessarily going to have a problem, but they could pass it. And so people wipe out entire lines when it can be bred around, it can be bred to clear and that sort of thing. And that was sort of the conversation I was thinking about, Marty. And that's with any of the genetic things that are out there is that we can breed around it or to know at least what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I don't think the genetic test is 100% accurate at this time, but it gives us a marker. Mm -hmm. 
that's the biggest concern we have right now is that we don't really have a full assessment on DM in all the breeds. So I think there's going to be a lot of information coming in the future, and I hesitate to put too much weight on the test since it's not verified in all the breeds. And there's no other test. That's the problem is the only way to diagnose DM really truly is to biopsy the spinal cord, and that isn't something you do on a patient that's still using their spinal cord. That's only done after the pet is euthanized or dies. So we are currently just... We're not there yet. I won't throw dogs out of a gene pool for a DM at-risk test. The DM test tests, they call clear, at-risk, or carrier. Okay. And the at-risk dogs, just because you have a DM test that shows you're at-risk doesn't mean if your dog has spinal cord disease that is caused by DM. It can still have a tumor. It can still have trauma. It can still have all kinds of other things. So, for instance, you have a three-year-old dachshund that jumps off the couch, blows out a disc, the dog has DM at risk genetics, that doesn't mean the dog at three that blew out a disc has DM. So that's where it gets to be really difficult. And I know from firsthand experience that there are some inaccuracies in the test. If people really want to look into this, the IPFD, there's a harmonization project that's being done. It's an international project. And I'll send you a link. Yeah, send me a link in in email and we'll get that in there. That's really interesting. Yeah, so there's some really good international information out there that I think people need to take into account before they start throwing dogs out of their gene pool. So if you have a boxer that doesn't have cancer and doesn't have heart disease, but it's an at-risk dog or even a carrier dog for DM, don't throw that out of the gene pool. That carrier dog can very safely be used in a breeding program, as even can an at-risk dog with the right genetic testing and being aware of what other disorders you have to deal with. So please, 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 DM is a non-painful disease that takes dogs out when they're 15. And cardiac disease, it takes them out at three and cancer takes them out at seven. So let's get them alive long enough to keep DM as a concern before we start tossing them out of the gene pool. So I have a very strong bias. To I knew I could get you going if I just poked a couple times. Yeah, well, I try I tried to be polite. Give Dan a chance. But... I will absolutely send you the link for the harmonization project because it's super important that people know that and recognize that there is a lot of information out there that the smarter we get, the dumber we get. So we have to really be careful. Right. Well, and I think one of the things that I think we cannot say enough times, and I say it all the time to my major sponsor, we use DNA testing as a tool, not as an end result. And so I think that that's really important to understand. So thank you both very, very much. Oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate getting to visit with Dan some. I know the listeners love learning more stuff. I love learning more stuff. The whole facets inside the, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. You don't think about it until you actually take the vertebra and hold them in your hand and look at the bones and see how many places they articulated with each other. And I learned that in my chiropractic training is that we had to identify vertebra in black bags just with our hands and try to figure and tell us which vertebra it was. And you had to oh my gosh. count the facets and figure out what was going on with them. So. And each vertebra is that distinct in terms of, you know, it's a thoracic this or a lumbar yeah, that or yeah. a cervical, the other thing. Yeah. You know, if, if you have the same skeletal you know, from one vertebra of one dog to another vertebra of another dog, right. you can't tell. But if you have a spine, you should be able to take it and tell which vertebra it is. Huh. 
Fascinating. Hey, you know what? I have the greatest job in the world. I learn something new every single day and I love it. So thank you guys. I very, very much appreciate your time and look forward. Marty and I have more things coming up. So <laughs> looking forward to that. Oh, don't we though? Thanks y'all. Have a great night. Yeah, good night. Good night. You guys, I am so excited. I've been wanting to create a live call-in show forever. So finally, I decided to just do it. Dog shows, dog grooming, dog handling, dog breeding, you name it. Join the conversation live and get trusted answers to all of your questions. No more Facebook groups, no more 20,000 answers to the same question, just solid knowledge. Amazing. Start planning now. Visit the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page for a link to our YouTube live lightning round with Laura. Be on the lookout for live chat opportunities, special guests, they'll be a secret, live calls from the audience, and more. Let's kick off the new year in pure dog talk style. Like the NPR of dogdom, pure dog talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.